This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We have a lot of news to go through today, and some of that is going to lead into our main discussion, the topic of the podcast, which will be what is happening with Michelle Yeoh and the Section 31 show and sort of putting together the pieces of what we've learned about it. And of course... Uh, employing some speculation. But let's start with the other news first before we get there, starting with a little revelation from Kate Mulgrew about Star Trek Prodigy. Obviously, we know that Kate's coming back as a holographic version of Captain Janeway. With very long legs. (laughs) (laughs) They've all got the long legs, not just her. That's true. yeah. Yeah, good point um that's just the style of the animation but when you look at a picture that's just her she looks like crazy tall um so over the last couple years we've heard about the premises it's these alien kids who take over a starfleet ship but we don't have a lot of plot details Uh, we do know it's in the delta quadrant and it's set about five years after the end of voyager so kate did an interview and in the middle of this interview talking about various things she was trying to make the point about how prodigy is a show very focused on kids um unlike other star trek shows where this show has a kind of built-in appeal to kids um and then she just starts dropping (laughs) facts about the pilot <laughs> you know like what you know, Think- did, did you forget about the nda right things we've heard nowhere else the premise is that the kids we know that they're like outcasts i think they've been described or something like that but she says the way the show is set up these kids and she talks about five kids we'll get into that in a yeah. second um are prisoners right so we didn't know this before so you know, that they're incarcerated on some prison planet. Yeah, which is intriguing as well. And they escape and they find a Starfleet ship on this planet. They try to get it working and then that's when they meet holographic Janeway. Who's like, hey, do you need some help? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, first of all, I love this anyway. Go ahead. It just sounds so much fun. She's been described as an emergency training hologram. So she's not the emergency command hologram. She's emergency training hologram. So I guess they accidentally trigger the training system when they're just flipping switches. <laughs> um, there's no switches in the 24th century when they're pushing. Touching mem- things. Touching things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She also describes it as an uncharted part of the galaxy. So even though it's the Delta Quadrant. It's at least the show's not going to start off in kind of a known part of the Delta Quadrant. I mean, they did kind of make a beeline through the Delta Quadrant, so they, there's quite a lot that they didn't get into. Oh yeah, on Voyager, yeah. So they could do this whole show in the Delta Quadrant and never run into any of the Voyager aliens we ever saw. In theory, as long as there are no K's on, I think we'll be fine. Oh God. <laughs> We could do a whole thing on. I love the premise of the case on. Yeah. Um, anyway, but let's let's yeah. not get it separate that right discussion. Now. Save it for another time. <laughs> she says they, you know, five kids escape the prison, but we see a picture in there. Six kids, right? Right. So the question is, which one joins them later? I think most of us have our money on the robot. If the robot is a robot, I mean, it, you know, there's a, we don't know that it could be a life form that lives in an exosuit. Sure. You know, and there's some kind of thing in there. Um, but let's say it's a robot. Then, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Maybe they build it or they meet or it. Find or it like that. or something. The other ones just look yeah. more like kids, even the blobby thing. I love the blobby thing. But. Although, actually, that one guy doesn't necessarily... I don't know. We're, we're just going to keep speculating which one they find later. But it's an interesting premise that these kids are prisoners, which means they've committed a crime, but we don't know... Or not necessarily. System. Yeah, we don't know they've that they've done they've something... Well, they could be political prisoners. We're assuming that it's some kind of unfair, tyrannical regime 
as opposed to them being, you know, thieves and cutthroats. Yeah, here's what she says. The quote was, five kids are incarcerated on an obscure planet in an uncharted part of the galaxy. And she does use the expression prison guards. Um, but I'm just saying it's not necessarily, I don't think it's criminal. Who knows? Maybe they're juvenile delinquents. I don't know. The question is, are they rightfully or right. wrongfully, you know, incarcerated? Um, are they bad to the bone and they learn lessons through her and become better people? Or are they, you know, fundamentally good and they we were just in a bad circumstance? Or are they truly good people who've been or who are political prisoners of some you know, space Nazis. Um, we don't know, but I, I'm betting it's some kind of mix of those. But the, that also means that they're going to be fugitives, right? Yeah. If they're escaped, you know, and you know, wherever they are, are they going to remain in this area? And is this whole on the run fugitive thing going to be an ongoing part of the show, or are they just going to escape the space Nazis in episode one and off they go to new adventures? I kind of hope. Maybe that's the case, and maybe whoever these bad guys or whoever they're imprisoned to them, maybe they run into them once in a while. I, I wouldn't want a whole fugitive thing to be a constant thing, you know, that kind of gets into the way of having a new adventure every week. Yeah, it could get sort of boring. But if they turn up at opportune moments when they're about to do something and then, oh, no, you know, as a wrench in the works, that could be fun. So we learned something new about Prodigy. I mean, it's it's May. We're not too far away from June. August is going to be the first the second season of Lower Decks. We're still waiting for the Prodigy trailer. Um, we don't know the names of these characters. We don't know what their alien races are. Although one of them apparently is a deep cut from the original series. There's so much we don't know about the show. And it's probably going to show up in like October-ish. So it's amazing how little we know for something that's coming that soon, right? Yeah, but I also would say every time I hear a little tidbit, um, I get more interested in it. Yeah, everything sounds good. Yeah. You know? So which, the way she outlines it, the way she talks about it, very exciting. And she's excited. Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing. There's a few little Star Trek Discovery things to talk about. Yeah, they've, um, uh, they've finished their scripts for season four, according to Michelle Paradise. Who would know? <laughs> being the the co-showrunner yes this was actually on may 14th she just tweeted out a picture of the last page of the script saying end of season four and she says a long journey to type these words but here they are there you go they started shooting in november 2020 it's a little slower than normal so i don't think they're they're at a good two episodes um a month clip there was the holiday break and there was a break because of a positive someone on the team tested positive even though they hadn't been on set they decided to shut things down for a couple of weeks just to be safe right a a contact with someone who was positive yes not no one has been tested positive that we know of they've been at it since november but there's been some breaks we think it's going to wrap up maybe in august i think it's 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 funny. I thought they might have been further along because they started writing last spring when they put the writers' room together for this. So I was always, I was actually a little surprised that they just finished writing season four. To be perfectly honest, or was I being overly optimistic and thinking that they had it all worked out? Yeah, I think you're being overly optimistic. <laughs> I think they often don't, and to some degree, um, maybe they want to keep things a little bit open based on how things are going with filming, which I see both ways, right? Like in some ways I really want them to know the ending. So they're heading towards it. In other ways, I want them to be open to what's happening on set. I mean, it, we do know from Akiva talking about Picard season two, that they had all of season two worked out before they started shooting all the scripts, but they were supposed to start last June. So they had a much bigger, and they didn't start shooting until February, so they had more time, yeah. obviously. Now we know they're also shooting season three. I don't know. I doubt that when they started shooting in February, they had finished all season three scripts. So, And it is entirely normal and, in fact, traditional for shows to start shooting well before they finish writing oh, yeah. the season. It's very unusual to finish writing a season and then start shooting it. 
but I thought maybe they would have been a little further ahead with and, Discovery this time. And to be honest, you want your writer still around when you're filming. You don't want them off sure. on their next job doing something else where you can't really call them because they're too busy. That's true. But I do hope, because Akiva said the biggest thing he learned is, you know, having the ending worked out before yeah. you start shooting is important. Yes. And we we Discovery has had problematic season finales. Every time. Off, every <laughs> yeah, season. Every time. I think the third season was the best finale of the three, but yes. Yes. And so in November, when they shot episode 401, let's hope that they knew what was going to happen in the finale, which was apparently written in May. Right. 2021. So that whatever they shot last year's works, you know, th this is normal. This is how they do it. But yeah, and that, it's a serialized show. And uh, and the script not being done doesn't mean they didn't map out the things that were going to happen. There's a, no, there are so not. many they, steps between outlining the season and even having a breakdown of plot points and story points to the script, which is a whole other piece. Right. And in fact, so another thing we're going to talk about is... Yesterday, there was one of these, we're about to head into Emmy season. Oh my God, we just finished award season. Now we're about to start another award season. I but, know. So they're doing these four-year consideration panels. There's one yesterday with Variety talking about season three of Discovery. Um, and Alex Kurtzman and Sonequa were part of the panel talking entirely about season three. And Alex, again, said they always knew that they were going to end the season with her as captain. And so the season was written to build up to that moment. So, you know, they do, I don't think they had the whole Sakal thing worked out necessarily when they created the burn at the beginning. I'm, I hope to talk to them about, did they know how they were going to resolve? And they kind of talked a little bit about how that was an early thought of theirs. Cause they had the Ursula K. Le Guin, so they knew there was going to be a child involved and something. So I'm, I'm curious how much of that they had worked out. Yeah, it was interesting. They showed the season three premiere before the discussion. And it was interesting. I hadn't watched it again since I'd seen the whole season. So knowing what I know and then watching that, it was, I mean, besides the fact that I think that is the is a great episode. That season three premiere is spectacular in a lot of ways. Um, what may be my favorite episode of the series. But um, it was interesting seeing that, seeing that and hearing what they say and applying what I know as context. And in fact, they answered one of your questions, Tony, about that I had missed and that you always thought was true, which was about book being um, an aberration in terms of his abilities. So now we, now we know that. Right. Speaking of shooting now, Tignataro's out promoting Army of the Dead, which is Netflix crazy zombie heist movie. It's all you need to know, right? There are clips out there that are worth taking a look at, especially the one with her is great. She did an interview with Colbert and he was joking about her house, you know, because it's obvious she's in a hotel room, right? And she's revealed she is in Toronto shooting on Discovery now. And last time we heard from her, you know, she said she was going to they had written her stuff from earlier in the season and she said at the time she did not want to travel um, because she's obviously had some major health issues as a cancer survivor. And um, so, but she's there now and she is shooting, even though she's obviously very busy. And in another interview, she's talked about how they've been very flexible with her and how she's been thankful for that. And she's always happy to work on discovery, even though she's got all sorts of things going on. There's one other fun tidbit that she's talking about. Even though she is seen as someone who improvises because she's a comedian, she does stand up. She actually said people always think that she's improvising when she's acting and she's not. She said people are writing. And so those lines in Discovery where people think she just made them up, she said, no, they know how to write for me and they know my tone and they write it that way. This is a testament to Alex Kurtzman who created the character for her. And it's obviously built around her yes. so they, most characters are written before they're cast this was the other way around so it's a very tig character for sure but it is interesting because we've heard, talked about how they're improvising on the set for other characters which is unusual for star trek i mean i don't think they're truly you know riffing and improvising and let's do six takes 
Um, okay, but- you're a chair. Yeah, no, they're not doing any of that stuff. It's more that they're collaborative. I think that's the point is that they're more collaborative on set. So when they have a moment in a scene where they know something happens, I think if the actors have ideas or thoughts or shifts for their character, I think the production is very open to that. So that means that there's some good comedy chops happening in the writer's room. You know, I thought she might have had some input on this, but it sounds like they've really just nailed her voice. And so that's kind of cool. So that's it for Discovery. Um, there's a few various merchandise things to talk about. A couple weeks ago, we talked about a new campaign with Sinequa and with Carl Urban for this uh, uh, the mobile game Starfleet, Star Trek Fleet Command. So the week after that campaign kicked off, they introduced a major update to the game, which is they've added Star Trek The Next Generation into the game. So far, it's it just has Discovery element, it, original series elements, and Kelvin Star Trek elements. What did they? Add? I'm not up on my games. What did they add from Next Generation? Well, all the you can now add all the characters and the sh- you know and the ships to your your crew. You build a ship or base, and you you know you you build a crew. And you can use different characters from Star Trek in there. And now you could have all of these elements from the next generation, but you could also do next generation missions. They've added next generation music. It's a major update, which is weird that they <laughs> brought in Sonequa to promote the game like the week before this update. Because even though, because Discovery was added like last October. So I don't know, maybe there's just kind of a delay on these things, but you'd think they'd bring in Brent Spiner or someone, you know, yep. or something like that. So. That's out there, Star Trek Fleet Demand. It's free to play, but obviously they get you because they've, you know, later when you play the game and they'll like give us X amount of dollars and you get these little fun game things. Speaking of next generation. <laughs> yeah, so so the Star Trek The Next Generation never got a Mirror Universe episode. Now we've there've been Mirror Universe stuff in the books. But IDW, who's a Star Trek comic publisher in the last few years, has done three miniseries written by the Tipton brothers, been very popular, all about a next gen mirror universe. And there's, you know, evil Picard and evil Riker and evil Troy and the whole gang. Now they're doing a year long series called Star Trek The Mirror War, which kicks off right after the year five series. The Star Trek year five series ends the summer in july um and then in august episode zero which is kind of a prequel episode of this comic comes out and then there'll be 12 more issues starting in september so you know we're still getting more star trek comics in 2021 yep and they're exploring an area that i'm glad they didn't do on screen but the comics feel like the right place to go play in that universe There's also a new book out. Una McCormack's new book just came out. It's called Wonderlands. um, And it's about Michael's gap year. So it's what she was doing in that year, right between the time she met book and the time Discovery showed up. So I think uh, I might want to pick that one up because it looks fun. She's a great writer. And it is kind of a big question mark about what happened during that year. I've joked how you know, cuz they made a big deal about showing their first kiss on discovery a year later as if these two were hanging out for a year and nothing happened you know which so, is but, why uh, that kiss was so good just saying yeah we well, argued about know. the kiss you didn't like the kiss i love the kiss <laughs> um i'm just not buying the fact that these two were hanging out i guess the question is, were they literally living on a ship together for a year? How much How much was she off on her own? So uh, we'll find out in the book. Look for a review on trekmovie.com. Yeah, from- she, I mean, she did become a courier herself. So they must have been separate at some point. But I agree. Two hot people with tons of chemistry on one ship with a cat. That sounds... Well, I think there's two... There, I think there's two ships... They did show a little shuttle that she has. Yeah, her scout ship. Yeah, which we never saw again. And I wasn't sure if that's somehow part of Book's ship because it kind of looked a little like Book's ship. Because we've seen Book ships kind of reconfigured. And I don't know, like, does this scout ship kind of pull off his ship or is it a separate ship? And if so, where is that ship? We're going to stop the podcast right now, read the book, and then come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The last bit of news, last week we had Mike McMahon on to promote the 
Star Trek Lower Deck Season 1 Blu-ray home release. And that was out this week. And there's a review of it on trekmovie.com. There's some video clips, some pictures, and detailed stuff. Matt, you know, Wright does all our home video stuff. Very detailed stuff about the audio and the video, but also about the show itself. So you want to check that out. Yeah, it's a good deep dive review. And I think by the end, you'll probably want to go buy it. So now we're going to switch to talking about a couple stories that's going to kind of fuel a longer conversation. The first is on the official podcast, uh, which is the pod directive hosted by Tony Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins, which we've talked about here. Good podcast. And they had Dr. Aaron McDonald on. This was probably recorded last December. So they, they do have a bit of delay on this podcast from recording to release. Um, and it's it's worth listening to the whole thing because she's a super fan of Star Trek. She's a super smart. She's the full-time science consultant for Star Trek. This is her only job now. You know, she doesn't teach or do any, you know, professor physicist things. And she's not complaining. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, not in the least. She's exhausted, um, but she's not complaining because it's a great job. She talks a lot about the process and how it's evolved in terms of her role, which I found pretty fascinating because she said she was she started on Discovery and they trusted her. And so they would kind of show her stuff and she would say, oh, yeah, no, you, you can't do this or you don't need that or this works. That doesn't work. Or people will be really mean if you try to do this thing that isn't you know, logical or scientific. And then her role kind of moved from fixing words and fixing sentences to actually solving problems and being much more involved in the stories and the concept development. So they're asking her, like, what would things look like? And what's a good way to deal with this? And then letting her sort of write small pieces of it. And she's doing this across multiple shows. Um, she said she wasn't working on season one of Lower Decks, but she did work on season two and she's really hit it off with Mike McMahon. And it sounds like she's a bit more flexible on lower decks because it's an animated series. Yes. And Prodigy, she's doing Prodigy too, which is also, they've got a, a young audience in mind, as she said. So this one, they want to be careful too, that they don't make up crazy stuff. Yeah, she drew a distinction between Discovery. She's saying for Discovery, the show is a classic Star Trek show where they are literally, quote, sciencing themselves out of situations. And so they consider the science a more important part of the show. But she indicated that even though it won't be that hardcore in Prodigy, they are taking the science very seriously in Prodigy, especially because they want to make sure it's inspiring young you know, scientists. Um, like herself, was inspired by Voyager to become a scientist. And, you know, Kate Mulgrew's her hero. And she wrote a Captain Janeway quote into her thesis. And during the podcast, she talks about meeting, you know, getting her to sign it in, in a line at, you know, a Star Trek convention. And she is a genuine fan. And she was super excited when she met the Prodigy guys and they saw her Voyager tattoo. And they're <laughs> like, oh, boy. You know, you're going to love what we got for you because she didn't know at the time that Jane Wade was part of the show. One of the things that it's probably going to be controversial for some fans that she said that distinguishes her perhaps from other science advisors on other shows, maybe Star Trek or not, was that she tries to be very collaborative with the writers. And she uses this phrase, yes, and which is <laughs> I guess she's done improv classes. That's a phrase from improv where when someone tells you something, you build on what they say. And she's basically saying she never tells the writers no. So when they say we want to do X, she does isn't the kind of person that says, well, you can't do that. So get rid of that. She tries to figure out a way to make it work, whatever it is. Yeah. There were a few things in season three of Discovery that I think some had us all scratching our heads. Oh, I think in um, every season. I mean, honestly. In every season. You know, she says, don't, I mean, I guess, but she's not saying let them do anything they want. She, but basically she says, if there isn't a way to explain this with science, then don't 
don't bullshit it. Don't lie. Yeah. Don't try to make it make sense. Right. Don't do Just any scans, pic- she says. Like, don't scan then. Don't find out that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't fake real science into it. Don't try to make it sound like it makes sense if it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, I think that's a good attitude. Uh, it certainly has made her popular. I mean, they, they obviously like working with her because they keep on adding her to more shows. This collaborative way of of doing things and building off their ideas and you know i I do get the feeling they don't like hearing no a lot no that's not a word they want to hear obviously that's worked out for her yeah Um, (laughs) and i listen i gotta be honest if you look back at all the older shows i there are many episodes that you can say that doesn't actually make sense scientifically (laughs) there are many examples of this i i like that they try really hard and that a lot of the episodes are rooted in science and and strong scientific principles but lots of stuff slipped through so i i just don't want to pretend that this is an utterly new phenomenon in the star trek franchise no now we're gonna make a big deal out of one of the things she said (laughs) get ready here we go here come here we go here's the trek movie over analyzing (laughs) one sentence thing so as she's talking about all of these great shows she says for me i'm working across six shows so we all start counting right the minute we hear (laughs) this line we go okay we only know about five shows that are in production yeah i mean the, the whole if you remember back in february they did the investor day and they talked about the star trek franchise and they the phrase, you know, the five Star Trek shows was talked about a lot, which are the five shows in production as of now, which are, of course, I'll go in chronological order from release, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and then coming soon, Star Trek Prodigy and Star Trek Strange Two Worlds. Those are the five. All five are in production as we speak now, but she said six, and I don't think she accidentally said six. No. And miscounted. She is a, you know, she has a doctorate. She is a scientist. She is precise. (laughs) She knows math. Um, (laughs) You know, she said, I've always got scripts to read. Um, Although she also talks about being involved in development of stories and stuff like that. So what is the sixth show? And how far in development is the sixth show? Is, is a big question mark. Right. And of course, the show that, you know, used to get talked about quite a bit was this upcoming Section 31 show with Michelle Yeoh, but it doesn't get talked about much anymore. And we've, we're going to dig into this in a little bit, but I, there may have been some shifts in terms of what's happening there. But that's the first thing that comes to mind is that. And then the second thing that comes to mind is, is there another show we've never even heard of yet? It's what I think is fairly clear is she's working on a, at least one Star Trek show that hasn't been kind of officially announced as a here's when it's coming. The Section 31 show was announced two years ago as in development, and it's been in development for two years. And development is different than, uh, you know, getting a season order technically in Hollywood. Uh, so they, we know that they've written scripts. We know there was a writer's room formed. We know they were at work at it last year. In theory, the pilot was supposed to be shot last year, but that never happened because of COVID. But then I think they then decided to do Strange New Worlds, which is currently in production as the fifth Star Trek show. Um, and so Section 31 is still out there as a possibility. Which brings us to our friend Shazad Latif. Back when season two wrapped up and we were thinking there's going to be a Section 31 show, which they're going to start shooting after they finish season three of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, that was the original plan. Season two wrapped up with Shazad's Lieutenant Tyler back on Earth, I guess, in the 23rd century. Was he put in charge of Section 31 or, you know, he was... Because I think all of Section 31 had been destroyed. They blew up all the ships and they killed Control. And, uh, you know, was he all that was left? I don't know, you know, but... He was all that was left of people that we knew. He was either involved or in charge of what was left of Section 31 
as everyone jumped off to a you know new century. So the kind of the premise has always been, well, you know, if they are going to do a Section 31 show, he'd be part of it because, you know, he's someone we know and he's in Section 31. So, you know, it makes sense. And he's a good character and he's very handsome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so even though it's never been said by one of the writers to anyone that he'd be involved, but it's kind of a natural belief. So in a new interview this week, he's promoting his new movie. He said he's still hearing rumblings is the phrase he yeah, used. Slight rumblings. Of a Section 31 show. But he also had said, I mean, the way he phrased it was interesting. He, he talked about how there's been yeses. As if, you know, everyone's decided to do the show. Or as if he's picking up the phone and going, hey, are you guys still doing this? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> It's been, the phrase is, it's been slight yeses, slight questions, but I have no idea. I think it's down to people's schedules. I mean, that tells me he doesn't know very much about what's going on. Well, it sounds to me like, A, he's, he would be involved. Okay? Yes. That right? he's... So that... Yeah. And that, well, and that... The question that we've often discussed on this podcast is... Do they want to make the show? So the question is, what's the what's the holdup? You know, they announced it two years ago. Why haven't they said, and there's a Section 31 show coming in 2023? I mean, they could say that, right? Or 2020 or whenever, you know, um, but they haven't. So what's the holdup? And is it a question of they haven't decided to do the show at all? Or... Is it is it literally lo the logistics of doing the show, including Michelle Yeoh's schedule? Like Michelle Yeoh is very busy, right? She you know? is. So I th I think when they signed her, you know, when they made that announcement a couple years ago, which was not long after Crazy Rich Asians, at the time I always said this sounds to me like they were nailing her down. They they signed a contract with her. They got an option with her, whatever to make sure that she's kind of into it. And she is very into it. She pitched the idea herself. Yeah. Uh, the she, idea of she wants, not the premise of the show, but the idea that, you know, she wants to do more Star Trek. And she wants to keep playing this character who she loves and wants to explore. I mean, we've talked about this before, but when she was on the official Star Trek podcast, I found what she was saying, the way she thinks of the character was a lot more interesting to me than what I saw on TV. And I like the exploration of all of those ideas and aspects of who that person is. Is it just come down to finding when she's available, you know, cause she's doing a new movie and she's shooting movies with James Cameron, you know, multiple avatar sequels. I think it's or... more than that though. I don't think it's just her schedule. I think it's both. I, 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 I think there was a moment when they were going to do it, but I think that, that moment passed, and now they're back into, this is, again, speculating, a combination of, do we want to do it, and when could we do it? You know, because they're both issues, right? Well, I would say even additionally, not just do we want to do it, but we know we want to do something with her, but was that the right idea? Well, right. Yeah, then there's the bigger issue of, is it even what we had in, in mind at the beginning, which I'm almost certain is not when I say in the beginning, this is, you know, early 2019 when, you know, they first announced to this thing. I think that whatever that was, that's evolved at least. There've been a lot of changes in the world and in what they think that Star Trek fans are looking for. Right. So those two pieces is one, we're in this, pandemic and a crazy politicized world and i mean we're always politicized but polarized world there there's a lot going on in that that might make that idea less appealing right now yeah we've now moved from things that we know now let's get into a little bit of speculation yeah i guess here comes the so, fun part <laughs> so we'll play star trek producers here sim producer of what would you do with this character? Because they have a lot of choices. Section 31 being just one of them. Right. 
first of all, a TV show is only one way, right? So before we get into what you do with the character, plan A, I guess, was a TV series, right? Which would just be like Discovery and Picard, you know, just like, you know, multiple seasons, hopefully, um, and the whole nine yards. But that isn't their only choice. No, I mean, one of the things about, you know, if you if you want to think about movies, I think there are two important factors here. So one is that Star Trek movies have to have a global appeal to make them worth the financial investment. That's always been a big part of it. And so she is a global star. So she's a, a star here, but she's a really big star in other parts of the world. And that and obviously obviously in Asia. Right, which is a which huge is market and matters a lot. Right. So you could see her being a factor in a feature film. Although I'm not sure you could build a film around her necessarily, but she could be a big appeal. So if Paramount, you know, who are now, you know, in theory working closer with Alice Kurtzman, you know, you said the line between feature films and television is being erased and you don't want to run franchises as if they're two things anymore. And we know that Paramount is taking Star Trek seriously again. So, you know, could you f put Michelle Yeoh into a feature film? I think yes, because it would be helpful. But I'm not necessarily sure you could do a Giorgio movie. And that's the movie. No, you'd, you'd need more elements and maybe you'd pair her up with some, you know, more sort of uh, someone who's bigger here. Although she yeah. is big. I mean, she is pretty famous. But yes, I. but definitely if they wanted to create a film around a film with her in it, that would help them with one of their big problems. And she's about to be in, I think, like, I don't know, they're making like four new Avatar movies all at once. And she's currently shooting Avatars four and five, oh, believe it or not. <laughs> so, you know, that, that those, you know, Avatar, is it still the biggest grocer of all time? It's top one or two, right? Maybe. I don't know if anybody wants all those sequels, but. Yeah, I, I think they're <laughs> overestimating yeah. the appetite for more av Avatar. But it'll, you know, a lot of people will see these movies that will build her profile as well. Right, especially now as people are really weighing going to theater. I mean, it'll be a while before they come out, but, you right. know. And people... It'll be a major event yeah. to have Avatar it'll be... back in. The... Yeah, It'll be a reason to go to the theater for sure. Yeah. So feature film is a possibility. I'm not, you know, then there's, and there's a couple of angles here. You could also, we expected, we talked about on this podcast before, eventually paramount to do a star trek film for paramount plus because they are going to do original films that just go to streaming they've said that they're going to do movies two ways now some go to movie theaters and then show up on paramount plus in 45 days some will just show on on paramount plus in 45 days now i'm talking about all paramount feature films now um and so I suspect we're going to see both for Star Trek in the next five years. We're going to see a feature film in theaters, but I think we could see a built for Paramount Plus feature film. Yeah, or a mini series, something, you know, special event mini series, something along those right. lines. So that's another option for her. I'm always talking about limited series. I love limited series because they they are nice long stories so you get more than you get with the movie but they have a simple beginning middle and an end so i'm really looking forward to the kenobi miniseries um i think they're calling it a limited series or you know but um for that reason you know you don't want to i think card should have been a miniseries i think they should have done one and done personally I still find that, you know, and Akiva Goldsmith admits the ending just didn't work season one. Now, I'm excited about season two and they've got some new stuff coming. But anyway, so miniseries is something I'm all for miniseries. Yeah, me too. I Because I also, one of the things I love about TV is the extended time to really develop characters and stories, which a movie, two hours, there's a limit to what you can do. There's one other option. 
Yeah, if let's say that they just, you know, they could just never get their act together on any of these things. Obviously, they want to use this character and the and this actress and she wants to do it. And in a way, they could do this f- as a testing ground for some of these other ideas we've talked about, mm-hmm. which is just start using Giorgio in some of the five shows, but realistically, I think the live action ones, so the three shows, (laughs) and more more realistically, I think any of the three shows. Obviously, she could show up on Discovery anytime, and she's talked about that, about maybe she pops into their future, or she pulls Michael back in time. Yeah, she says maybe Michael needs her, or she needs Michael, or something comes up, because those two have a bond. Yeah, and they said that, you know, she can't survive in the future. They could get her some new special bracelet or whatever that where she could survive in the future. Who knows? Sure. Um, you know, or for limited times. Right. Uh, it could but, be a short visit, which would add some tension to whatever story they want to create. Right. Give it a ticking clock. But the the they could use her as a guest star um, on that show. Strange, they could somehow fit her into strange new worlds, especially if she's popped back to the 23rd century where Section 31 was. And we're assuming she pops back not to the mirror universe, but to the prime universe. Um, so I could easily see her popping into that show yep. to do cause hijinks and mayhem. <laughs> hijinks. Picard is more difficult. But she's, you know, her new best friend, Carl. Um, yes. You know, could be sending her all over the place. Um, and so why not the end of the 24th century? There's no reason why she couldn't show up there. And you could do it in a, right. in a, you know, I can see a lot of bad ways of doing it. And I could see some really interesting, cool ways of doing it. And we know Q is shown up for two seasons. And he, sna- he we know that time travel is part. I mean, we don't know, no, but we know. The time travel is part of right. season, you know, season two. So, you know, they may come to her or she could come to them, you know, so they could show up someplace and there she is. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of ways you could use this character and um, in the current shows, if they just want to bring her back. And um, I, I, I think, you know, she has said it and, I think we haven't seen the end of George O. The question is where and how, right? Of, of, of how, you know, and, and so maybe they bring her on to one of these shows and they maybe test some ideas for her, her thing, right? Whether her thing is a movie or her thing is a, it's a miniseries or a TV show. So the question is, what is her thing? What's her new thing? Right. Like what is her role? How has the character evolved and changed is it about her evolution or is or is she already there there's so many questions and options and ways for them to go that are all very creative i mean we've gone over and over the whole redemption thing i think all that really matters is they think that her redemption arc is well on its way and that she has had an epiphany and that she has seen the light and that that there's a better way to do things and her old ways were the wrong ways. But I did think so she, that what she said in those interviews made me think that she thinks of it as something that she has, she definitely crossed the line in terms of realizing she needs to change, but not that she has changed. Like that was my whole objection. We talked about this, but the big send off she got on discovery was the assumption that she's great now. And she did not seem to be making that assumption in the interview she gave it was more like she's realized that she was doing things the wrong way and she's accepting that she needs to change so it's how far along that path she is when we meet her again right but if she is so that means she has a goal right and she's going to be trying to do good so because you know if you think about um she could just go back to wherever she is and just, you know, become a crime Lord or, you know, just do selfish things. It doesn't sound like that's going to be her thing. Like no. Her thing's going to be yeah. doing things for the benefit of the galaxy for the, you know, ideally for the benefit of the Federation and Starfleet that maybe she's kind of a born again believer in Starfleet, which is the, you know, the, 
you know, to borrow a phrase, the mirror of her Terran empire, right. Mm -hmm. Or the Federation, the Federation. And so she's kind of a new believer in the Federation. Um, and, but she will do it her way, you know, her own special way. So this could be, you know, so this could just be the premise of the section 31 show. Now my headcanon on section 31, because section 31 in the, by the 24th century is almost just a rumor. It's, it's no, nobody's really heard about it, you know, um, I'm not counting Boimler making section 31 jokes no, in lower decks. Don't count okay. That. So, um, but I'm thinking, you know, where it all started, right. With deep space nine, you know, cause when people start talking about it, it's not like everyone knows what this is. Whereas in discovery section 31 is kind of just part of Starfleet. Admiral Cornwell is either giving orders to section 31 or in charge of section 31, you know, it's, you know, they have their own ships. They have a big station. It's not a secret, right? But, you know, Discovery leaves and we saw them do some, you know, crazy things with rewriting history, essentially, by erasing Discovery from Starfleet records. I think the same happens with Section 31. And in my head canon, where Starfleet disavows and either closes section 31 or something happens to it where it becomes extremely covert and possibly not no longer un, under anyone's control. Like maybe they close it down, but someone else starts it up. And it's pretty shady. It's just, it's a very shady organization. Right. Well, it's always been shady. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> just you know, back with that. When enterprise did, there was never, never not shady, you know, you know, it, it went, pure evil for a little while there when it was under the control of control no but i mean even deep space nine which introduced it super shady it's just shady right but possibly we could see her come back and they're like well we've closed section 31 and maybe she's like you know what maybe i'll just you know i'll go run section 31 on my own and i'm not going to tell anyone <laughs> you know like i'm just going to do it right i mean i kind of think and hope that section 31 is not a part of this equation anymore except for i like shazad so i like him to have an opportunity to pop in but i'm i've never been a fan of section 31 and i don't think this is the story that is interesting i just don't right well what you know is she motivated she had no love for section 31 no That's the other thing. Like, she didn't care it was, it, yeah it was an opportunity for her she didn't have anything better to do you know she was working in a bar i guess you know what was i assume she was owning it um <laughs> right right she wasn't just she she wasn't slinging she drinks wasn't but yeah i mean but i think i feel yeah. like there was a line in season three where she said oh they would have wanted me to run it or something like that so right i just to me this is not a story i care about but i never have i didn't like it in any of its incarnations so maybe that's just me well and and then there's the issue of what have they done to set up the show? And they've introduced some new elements. I mean, Carl is a very interesting element. Mm -hmm. So we have one thing of what is her motivation in life? Is she want to do things to help the Federation officially or unofficially? Or is she off on her? I feel like whatever she's going to do. And I think to keep Star Trek fans invested, she has to be working to the betterment of the Federation and Starfleet. I agree. Know, and it, that also led where she's just, you know, where she becomes an Orion pirate crime Lord. I'm just, I'm just not interested in that. I don't think fans would be interested. I don't in that. think she's interested in that. Honestly. Right. But I think yeah. that if you have her doing something for the Federation and Starfleet, then you also have the opportunity for conflicts and clashes and questions as she's evolving as a character and a person because she has a lot to learn about not just barreling in and being a tyrant and beating people up to get what you want. I think even if her motivations have shifted to the point that she's not going to try and kill people and become the emperor, she still has these, her way of solving problems is often physical. Yeah. Her methodology is definitely questionable. So that will also always be an issue of conflict and why she may need to work outside the lines. I don't see her going back and just becoming part of Starfleet. That's never going to happen. No, she's never going to be Captain no. Giorgio. No, in, in an official way, even though she's impersonated. So you have to, you know, we often forget 
she was impersonating the dead Captain Georgia. So from the 23rd century's point of view, she was the real Captain Giorgio. I'm, who they, I'm still mad about that. They rewrote history where she undied. So she could just go back and be that. But I just, I'm just not buying like where they, she gets a ship and she just no. goes off and has adventures as Captain George. I mean, in theory, that's a possibility. They can just, but they don't know, need another, ship. they don't need another show like that. They have Strange New Worlds and they have Discovery. So you wouldn't want to do that same thing. Here's a ship. And here's I, a you know, I, yeah, and I don't think, I mean, Starfleet knows she's evil. <laughs> so quote unquote evil, even though they might want her with section 31 they're not just going to hand her a ship and say go out you know go off and search for strange new worlds because you know they wouldn't necessarily trust her to do that so another possible thing which may could be part of section 31 or not you know or, or that element of her working for starfleet is maybe she isn't fixed to this 23rd century thing you know maybe carl is along for the ride Mm-hmm. Right. This is what I'm hoping they do. Now you're into something a little crazier, which is she's now a, I don't know, the, the word, you know, time cop. I was going to say time uh, lord. But, I don't know. I actually don't watch Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's the Department of Temporal Investigations, which they, I, I don't know. No. I, mean, I don't think it was ever established that they time travel. They, they investigate time travel incidents and chastise people which i don't think is her thing either they mostly show up to say what happened break it down what did you do you messed with this this is bad so i don't think it's that but i do think there's an opportunity for her to with carl which would be great um go to different time periods to try to fix things or restore things or change things i mean maybe the you know the temporal investigation department sends her to fix right. stuff I mean, that could be yeah. yeah there's no reason why they can't be involved and obviously we know that in a future federation there actually is a you know because remember the the, the voyager episode relativity there are members of the federation in the future which i guess from Vo- discovery's point of view is the past um, go around and try to fix things. And then, of course, there's the whole temporal Cold War, and you had people like Daniels who were very involved in doing that kind of stuff. And even, look, Braxton in Futures End, before he turns up on Relativity as a different actor, wants to destroy Voyager because of something he thinks that they did that caused an yeah. accident in the future. So the idea of jumping around in time with Carl, I think, has a lot of possibility. Um, whether that's looped into Section 31 or not, who knows. But she could certainly bring Shazad along for the ride on that show as well. Because you know, he, he is a man without a country, I feel, by the end of season two. Because, you know, is he human? Is he Klingon? Is he, he doesn't fit into Klingon culture. And I think they'd kind of set it up where, you know, because she had to kill him, right? So she he can't be part of Klingon society because... She faked his death, right? Although he did, you know, I felt like he was visible again at the end to the Klingons. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> that was the yeah, that was yeah. the idea of it. Um, and the, and yeah, he has no attachment to any place that he's in. Is the main right. point? Yeah, so he could easily, you know, say, "Sure, you know, I'll go off and become a time cop with you and Carl." You know, the three of them. That could be the core of the show. Although, is Paul Gilfoyle going to want to be? a regular on a star trek show i don't know no but maybe he could there again lots of creative ways to use him sparingly or he could be like charlie and charlie's angels and just be the voice (laughs) (laughs) the um a crazy idea had especially when i was thinking about the movies and you know there's a lot of buzz about dc and the suicide squad you know they're they're the one movie and they're doing another movie i can almost see giorgio heading up starfleet's suicide squad so if you don't know um the premise of what the suicide squad is it's a group under the sanction of you know in the dc universes i don't want to get into details but they're basically a sanctioned organization of super criminals you know and bad guys who are put to work for the good guys 
Um, and they're all, they all have these chips in their heads that it will explode if they break the rules. So they let them out of prison um, and they send them on missions to do things and hijinks ensue. And it's been in the comic books and there's another movie. And I can almost see Giorgio building a Federation suicide squad, maybe including people we know. I mean, you could have Thomas Riker, you could have... <laughs> um harry mud you could have you know so pick your criminals and some new people but you could build a rogues gallery around her of interesting characters that are you know quote unquote doing the good of the federation but all of whom are you know these kind of broken shady gray area characters right so now she's actually trying to reform other people which does seem right. like a logical place for her character to go. A potentially interesting place. And if you add the time element, you could pick bad guys from all over Federation history, right? You know, you could have the Matt Frewer character, remember him? Mm-hmm. You know, the time-traveling con man. I mean, the, the, there's so many fun, shady characters in Star Trek. You know, the the Okona character, why not, you know? Uh, Cardassians. So, there's there are a lot of there are a lot of options. Right, lovable rogues, whatever. You know, that's my pitch. Is uh, <laughs> and again, these are not mutually exclusive. You know, they could all be under. They could all be time cops. They could all be Section Thirty One slash time cops. Um, but I think they need to lean into who she is. They just can't. She is who she is. Right. They've created her as the former emperor of the mirror universe. They can't just go, bing, she's redeemed. Everything's fine now. She's Captain Giorgio, and she's going to go off and do adventures and be no, a good guy. That's just I don't th- not happening. I don't think they want to do that. And I, that, to me, is why use that character. You don't even need that character. Um, it's, it's her journey towards that and the struggles that I assume she would have along the way that would make that interesting. Yeah. And the one thing I think they're not going to do is uh, – I don't think they're interested in a mirror universe show where she tries to save the mirror universe. I just, that first that leads into way too many canon traps that I, they don't want to fall into anyway. Um, and it's also, it's just not, it, it just gets into parody. Like it just will get silly. I think as mirror universe sometimes does. So I don't, and that's not a great place for her to evolve necessarily. The way she talks about it, she talks about her trip back there was a test and, you know, there was, she had an epiphany when she learned that the mirror universe essentially wiped itself out by the 31st century right? or, or earlier, like, you know, cause they hadn't heard from them from centuries. So she's basically give, she sees that as a failed experiment, the Terran empire. And I don't think she sees it as her job, especially after she went back to try to fix things and it kind of didn't work out, but at least she tried. She gets an A from effort. <laughs> but it still didn't work. So she's not going to go back and try again. She's like, she did that, didn't work, but she at least tried. They're essentially doomed, the Terran Empire and the Mirror Universe. And that's it. I, you know, I, I, not that they wouldn't pop in and out for a fun episode of everyone wearing, you know, gold, but sure. that isn't it. That isn't the show. I don't see that. No. Yep. I agree. Uh, so I mean, that's all I got in my Speculatron my sim producer hat is I'm pitching. I want to see Giorgio mini series suicide squad of time traveling adventures. And maybe that becomes more later, but build it, build a simple season where that works. And uh, then let's see what happens. And I say first uh, put her on a couple of other shows, one or two other shows, right, just to, right. And build it, build yeah, it up, yeah. build it up. Set up the premise of that thing and then test it out where she, I mean, if it is time travel, Grace, then you really want to test it out where she shows up on all three live action shows mm-hmm. and and maybe Lower Decks. Why not? You know, um, just, you know, go for it. And uh, then you're then you're like, oh, she and her gang, you know, of Carl and Shazad <laughs> and who else? <laughs> you know, are running around time and space. And if people like that, they're like, okay, bang, let's do that. Let's do more of that. Um, let's do a show or a miniseries of that. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Let's back into it with, with 
start with the guest spots, then jump into doing it full on. Yep. For, so, and I think as they call it, a backdoor pilot. Exactly. In the biz. And in Star Trek, quite a few times also. Um, <laughs> so I think that is everything we need to say for yep. now. Nope, that's it. I think we've wrapped it up, and I think we should move into our bits of the week. What you got, Tony? My bit of the week is just a video that came out this week from a popular YouTube channel called Renegade Cut, um, which does a mixer of pop culture, politics, all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, this guy likes to take lots of I don't know, contrary views or whatever. He's done a few Star Trek things. Like you, but often the premise is something that you think isn't great, but is great. Like he did a good one on Voyager saying how Voyager is a great show and how Generations is a great movie. So he tries to lean into, you know, maybe you didn't like something, but you should. And this week he has one called Dr. Pulaski is good, (laughs) comma, sorry, Um, where he's, you know, kind of not, you know, sorry, not sorry, apologizing for liking the character Dr. Pulaski in season two. And I've always, I like Dr. Pulaski. I think Pulaski is the right premise. I think it could have worked. The problem was they had introduced Crusher and people were upset that she was kicked off the show and that, you know, but I think, you know, the premise of having a, cause it introduced conflict into the show in the way you know, that they may not have captured the bones thing from the original series, but I, the Roddenberry box was always so limiting of, Everyone gets along on the show. And so I like Dr. Pulaski and it's a good video. So we'll put a link to it in the show notes, check it out and uh, let us know in the feedback, whether you think you like Pulaski, but I always try to look at Pulaski without thinking about Crusher. Just look at Pulaski as Pulaski. Right. If I look at her separately, I like, I didn't like her. She wasn't nice to data and that, but she did learn and she evolved, but I did like the character quite a bit. And I liked her as a, doctor i thought she was an excellent doctor and had very mccoy-like qualities in terms of her persistence in finding solutions and taking risks and all that stuff you know i love dr crusher so i did have that issue myself i was like bring back my crusher where is she so um i would have loved to have seen them together it would have been nice to have seen them pass to see you know pulaski pass the torch back to crusher or something like that um, check that out. What's your bit of the week? My bit of the week so is is a William Shatner interview. And there have obviously been a gajillion William Shatner interviews over the years since I was a kid. This is a new one in The Guardian. It's by a writer named Hadley Freeman. And I like that she, it isn't just about what he says. And she's not just looking for him to be this sort of Shatner persona that he often has. But she within the piece describes her experience of interviewing him. Like I love, he shows up early. She gets to the zoom 10 minutes early and he's already there waiting, which is very, as someone who's interviewed a lot of people, that is not normal. Um, And they have this great discussion. There was something, I felt like it really captured bits and pieces of who he really is. Besides the fun stuff where he talks about, he's just on shark week and he was with these 18 foot tiger sharks and all of his usual stuff um but he just it seems to me that it exposes who he is and what it's like to interview him at the same time and it's a fun interview there's some good revelations in there that i that i think people will enjoy um but also just the tone of the whole piece it just captured me i really liked it he's such an enigma and so yeah i always like every once in a while you get an interview that peels off a layer of the onion peels off a bit of his you know he has a bit of a facade which he talks about in the interview and talks about people's expectations of him to be that facade and he's saying this is who i am but of course he does have a facade that he even puts up at that moment and i think this writer had moments of breaking through that and then moments of just observing it so it was a combination of of the person interviewing him i thought was great and the interview itself was fascinating insightful he does talk and he does like a little bit of star trek a little bit at nimoy so it's worth checking out nothing you know breaking newsy um but and she and she said after she asked two star trek questions he really just wanted to change the subject (laughs) yeah which is i mean you need to know if you're going to interview william shatner 
don't start with Star Trek, first of all. <laughs> um, and don't talk a lot about Star Trek. He feels like he's talked about it enough. He says he's been talking yeah. about it since 1966. So I get it. One other fun thing about Chatner, just little thing, is it's been 38 years since he got his star in Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame this week. And we do these on this day tweets. And uh, it was fun that William Shatner retweeted us with a little comment because we had a picture of him and Nimoy from May 19th, 1983. And his comment was, it doesn't seem that long ago. And I'm always, you know, I do a lot of those posts. I share them with Christine, who's on our team. And, you know, I debate, should I tag him? Should I not? He never notices anything. He never comments on anything. So that one I did tag him with. And I'm really happy that he saw it and responded to it and he, he follows us he does but he doesn't seem to respond to a lot of the things that we post we get the most responses from freaks i think well mostly on instagram mostly on instagram and when it's about like a guest star or a specific episode um he will say something nice about the person or the experience uh, rick berman has been doing that a little bit too and I just noticed uh, Wilson Cruz did a comment on our birthday post for uh, Bihia Watson. So that was nice. Oh, really? That's nice. Yep. Yeah. We, we definitely get a lot of thank you from the birthday notes. Oh, I get so excited when someone big thanks us for their birthday post. It makes me very happy. Yes. Okay. So with, with that, um, before we close out, last week we were talking about the return of in-person conventions and – how it's been an internal discussion amongst the Trek movie team. And the last week we've all decided, yes, we're definitely going to go to the creation 55 year mission event in August. And we encourage other people to you know decide on their own, but uh, I think it's going to be fun. We're all excited to go. Maybe we'll have a Trek movie meetup. Hopefully we'll be seeing some of you people at the new Star Trek Las Vegas, which is no longer called Star Trek Las Vegas. Also, it's my very first time going to the Vegas convention. I've never been. So it's a big deal for me getting away from my family for a while, which I feel terribly guilty about. But um, I'm excited to I'm excited to see the costumes. I'm excited to hang out with my Trek movie people. I'm excited to meet Tony in person for the first time. In person. In person. We have never met. I think I talk to you more than I talk to most other people in a week. And yet yes. we have never met. <laughs> I can't wait. We, we, you, you've, you, you've shared um, food box uh, <laughs> codes with me. That shows you how, how well we know each other, that we're, we're at the food box code level. I bring you up um, in conversation all the time. Oh, Tony told me this. Tony said this. Oh, you'd like to hear this from Tony. Um, but it's just, it's just never happened. So this is like my first time for the Vegas convention. My first time meeting uh, Tony and Matt from Trek movie, because I haven't met Matt in person either. Um, I think it's going to be really fun. And I can't believe I'm actually doing it this year. So that's it for the week. Come back next Friday as it is every Friday. It's all access Star Trek. See you next week. <laughs>